Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles Podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe. So let's get to it. I'm going to address the elephant in the room right away. Okay. You you are a fucking handsome bastard, okay? (laughs) And I want to know what it's like to skate around in the warm-up with no bucket on and every woman in the lower bowl wants to dive over the glass and jump you. What's that like? Oh, buddy, I, I have no idea. I was so focused on hockey when I was there. You know, I was just uh, no no time for any extracurricular stuff, you know. Um, wow, what a life. Yeah, what a life. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down, and I never stayed down. And I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. <laughs> freaking madman look at him going to town that'll be a let's get going from elk river alberta um the elk um, point elk, elk point elk well i'm point. actually sorry elk I'm, point i'm actually from fishing lake so i'm from a, a small little metis settlement in northern alberta but our closest hospital the closest town was a town called elk point which is about 30 minutes where i'm from um wow. and every time someone says i'm from elk point Someone from Elk Point's happy, but my, you know, my family in Fishing Lake's like, you're not from Elk Point, so I, I, I better just, you know, clear the air. There. Stick with that, clear it. Yeah. So you grew up in a very rural area, I would say, um, and you said the Matisse um, um, culture you grew up in. Now, that's a combination of native and um, French, is it, both? Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of the um, – Alberta is the only place in Canada that has these Métis settlements. They have uh, seven of them. So it's not, it's not a reservation, but it's uh, a native settlement, a native community. And uh, it's originally – yeah, the, the French kind of came over and uh, – and the natives and that's kind of how i grew up on this uh not a reserve it's not you know but it but it's across the lake from one i mean i grew up in the in the sticks you know got you so uh, how does hockey get going for you like up there i mean god you're in the middle of nowhere did it start on the lake did it start uh organized hockey how'd you get going in the game so i have a sister who's two years older than me and um you know we had like a we call it town site, which was kind of the middle of our community. And we had a school um, at the time when I started getting to like four or five years old. Um, my parents thought that it would be a better opportunity for us to go to, you know, a, a town and be in a better school. And for me, start some organized um, um, sports, particularly hockey. So I kind of grew up in Lac La Biche my first couple of years. And, um, you know, my sister went to school and, and I started skating and, uh, and that, that was it. That was kind of the start of it. I, I bounced, my my parents got divorced when I was young. So I bounced a, a, around a lot and I was a rambunctious kid. And so I lived with my dad, you know, quite a bit of my childhood. And, um, we just always bounced around, you know, these small towns in Alberta until I got to be about, I don't know, 14 or 15 and, and then moved out to um, to British Columbia, actually, and I played junior junior A tier two with a young kid who was supposed to be the next hot up and comer by the name of Terry Ryan. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. So my he was fourteen, and you know, was TSN that what the trade is? Oh. That was that was what the Quinnell Millionaires we were okay. called. Okay. And let me tell you, I walked into that dressing room the first day. I was fifteen. Terry was fourteen. I seen men with beards and you know hair down below and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I gotta, I have to go play. And not only the guys I was playing with, the guys I started playing against. So I didn't think I was going to make it my first year of kind of getting into older, like, you know, growing up in organized hockey. I mean, whatever, right. You just kind of move yeah. along age group to age. Group. I was never that good. I was never in playing like the top tier. Um, but once I got to be like 15, 16 years old, it was like, wow, this is, uh, this is what it is, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be hard, but that's it. it you know, my dad was a truck driver, you know, and, uh, Knox, you, you'll appreciate this. My dad, when he was, he's from Ontario. So when he was 16 years old, he was parking cars in Toronto. He was a valet uh, yeah. guy. And the Leafs used to come in after the games with, uh, Cadillacs and hot chicks and, uh, fur coats. Pat Quinn used to come in and give him five bucks oh, yeah. to park his Cadillac. <laughs> yeah. And my dad said, Hey, if I have a son, he's going to play hockey. And so that was kind of, you know, that was kind of me growing up. My dad had always pushed me towards it. And, um, it always was fun. It was always something to do. And, you know, as I moved along, it obviously got more serious as you guys know, but, um, that's kind of what started it. My dad said, you know, I'm going to be the next Pat Quinn. So of all the places I played, you know, Montreal, obviously meeting Larry Robinson and Jacques Lemaire being my coach and all these things. When I played in Edmonton and my dad met Pat Quinn, it was first, besides Gretzky, I would say meeting Pat Quinn was like his aha moment. Like I made yeah. it, you know, Pat Quinn's his coach. Um, so that was kind of cool. How yeah. big, were you big? Were you, how big were you when you were like 15, 16? You know, I was, I was a bigger kid. I was on the bigger side. I was always, I don't know, you know, Nux knows you, you either will do the dirty work or you won't. And I liked sticking up for my teammates. Like I, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't the top scorer. I knew, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I shot a bunch of tennis balls against, you know, the garage door and taking slap shots and, you know, working on my cross checking was something that was right <laughs> up my alley. It wasn't, it, it didn't take a whole lot. I wasn't trying to make saucer passes when I was a kid. I knew what, you know, <clears throat> I knew what, um, I knew what I liked and I knew what I was good at. And, and that's just kind of how it went. You know, it's just, it's just kind of how it started. So you cut your teeth there, the millionaires, you get going, then you try city, French George Cougars. Um, and and good numbers uh, that last year, 32 games. You had great numbers, actually, almost a point a game. Then Kelowna Rockets, same thing. And you had some PIMs. Now, I looked at your draft year, and I was shocked. And I just went on. It's funny. I went over it with Tim. I And, and I just could not believe you were left to – number 71 in the draft because I, I say that because the names Ruman Nudder. He can't even pronounce it. Uh, by the way. Chad <laughs> Allen. Who the fuck is Chad Allen? Like, it's funny. Like people, do, you know, you get drafted, you think guys are getting drafted. They have the fucking ability to be able to make it in the NHL. And so many fall by the wayside. People don't get it. Um, getting drafted at, at 71. Were, were you, 
were you waiting to be drafted? Did you think you're going to be drafted? Or, you know, our kids, they all go to the draft today. You didn't do that yeah, right. back then, right? You didn't, you didn't go to the draft? I did. The draft did. was in Hartford. So I had an interesting way to come up. So um, the Tri-City Americans, you know, I never played in Hockey Canada. As I said, I was never like, a, you know, that was just never who I was, you know. So I was never kind of on that radar. Uh, I had a kid who, uh, I had a guy who coached me in Peewees who ended up being, you know, a, a scout for Tri-City Americans. And so when Terry Ryan went to Quinnell, um, I had actually been suspended. I was playing a league up. I was playing a, a age group up. I was playing in midgets and I ended up getting suspended. And so I had nowhere to play. And, um, and this, this guy, Scott Bonner said, well, why don't you go up to Tri-Cities because, or uh, to Quinnell, because we have this kid. He's like, you know, one year younger than you, and it could be a good place. That's where I first got eyes on me. So then I went to Tri-City Americans camp at 16. Um, <clears throat> my first day or two in camp, you know, you, you're kind of wearing the, the half visors back then. And I took a slap shot in the face, broke my nose, broke my orbital bone, and, and messed me up pretty good. So... When I was 16, I didn't, I didn't play. I was in Tri-Cities till almost Christmas time, but I hadn't played any games. Bob McCammon, I don't remember if you know him, but oh, I know he was him. our coach. Yes, yeah, yeah. so you know Bob. Uh, yeah. And and he was our coach, and he had some NHL kind of uh, experience. You better fight. You better fight. I, exactly. You were, you know, and but I wasn't able to do that with with kind of the injuries. Now I got to play with the guys. Anyways, to make a long story short, I asked to go home around Christmas time. I said, I'm not playing here. I can't do my. And so I caught a little stress for that. But I went back and played for the Fort Saskatchewan Traders, which is, you know, right outside my hometown. I was living in Edmonton at the time where my mom was. And um, so when I was 17, was my first real year of major junior. So that's kind of, I was, I was going, I was 17. It was my draft year. And, um, I started out good. And, um, there was a couple other kids who were going to be drafted. You guys probably remember the name, Jason Weimer. I think he was maybe six. He was supposed to be maybe first overall pick. And around January, um, uh, I, I tuned him up pretty good in the fight. And that really got some eyes on me. And then I fought one of my best buddies, Brant Myers, who got traded over to the Spokane Chiefs. And I remember all the older guys on our team were like, hey, you got to let this guy just, you know, just let him play. And I'm like, you guys are a bunch of chickens. So I go out and fight him and he breaks my leg. Like the first 10 seconds, thank God, or he would have killed me. And so my draft year, I, I broke my leg and I only played about half a season that year. Okay. Um, so I, I started falling in the in the draft, and you know my uh, my agent at the time was uh, Mike Barnett, who I'm sure you know. You know he's yeah. had a lot of NHL guys, and he said, "Well, come on, we'll go to the draft." And so I did that, and um, ended up getting drafted. I had a couple good draft interviews, and I, I really hit it off with Lou Lamarillo. Um, well, I, I don't know if I hit it off. I thought he hated me. You know, Jacques Lemaire was the coach. They just lost in the uh, conference final to the Rangers when Gretz were when Messier uh, guaranteed they were going to win. Yeah. Yep, yep. And so, um, you know, I, I I thought he didn't like me, but something felt good about meeting them. And you know, Jacques Lemaire was the you know was the coach, and Larry Robinson yep. and was the assistant. And so they ended up drafting me and um my goodness what i thought it was so hard 
you know, when I got to camp and to the NHL, I, I thought like, these guys hate me. They don't like me. They're hard on me, you know, yada, yada. And, um, what I thought was a bit of a curse at the time ended up being the, the greatest blessing a player could have. You have those guys as your coaches and, and Lou Lamorello is the GM. And so, um, you know, they seen something in, in me. They, they played a style with Kenny Danico and Lyle yeah. Oldline and Scotty Stevens. I say Scotty Stevens, but obviously that wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking Scotty Stevens then, but, um, it just kind of fit. And it was a lot of tough love, which I needed. You know, I was, uh, I was a poor me type kid. And, um, I didn't know, and I don't think they knew if I had, if, if I had it in me to be a professional, you know, I was a little bit lazy. Um, does, I, not that so I does that entitled. explain, does, excuse me, does that explain mm -hmm. the, the first training camp when you came overweight? Was that just immaturity? Was that just, exactly. and, and don't take this run, ignorance. Because I remember when I came to, for my first pro game in Maine, like I, I, I watched the Bruins growing up, all that. I did not have a clue what it took to be an NHL player or even even what goes on behind the scenes. I, I didn't have a clue. I was I was ignorant. Totally. What did and, you weigh? What did you weigh? So my first year that I came in when I was drafted, I came in. I didn't know anything about working out. That's 94. Um, I didn't have the first clue about what was what it took to be a professional. But they kept me around. Knuckles will know. Um, 94, they had the lockout in October. And um, so I stayed with the team right until October. Then they had the lockout. Then they sent me back to juniors. And I signed a contract right out of that training camp, big signing bonus. I didn't have two nickels to rub together. And they gave me a contract and a signing bonus. And so I went back to juniors Woo! that year. And I had, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't know about taxes. I didn't know about <laughs> nothing. I, as a matter of fact, I had to borrow money from my agent to pay my taxes from that signing board. So I'm like, what do you mean taxes? You know? Um, you mean they didn't teach you that at Archbishop O'Leary Catholic High School? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so um, it was my second year that I came into to training camp when I was overweight. And I, I just was very unprofessional. And... Um, Man, that that really taught me a hard lesson. As you know, uh, Nux, you played with uh, Jacques and, and Larry yeah. and these guys. And, you know, I sat in their office and, and what what I really felt was, a uh, you know, they were coming down hard on me. And they were. And they were. But it was coming from a place of you can you can do better. Like, we believe in you. Uh, but if you do this again, you, this isn't, you know, yeah. it's not going to happen again, basically. Right. Exactly. And so for the rest of my career, when I was in New Jersey for the next four or five years, every summer I was in New Jersey where and now it's kind of, um, accepted that guys will go to their city and they'll train all summer long. Well, back in 94, 95, 96, guys weren't really, that wasn't really a thing. New Jersey was doing it. And, um, Man, we we hired that uh, Pavel Burry's dad, and he just ran us into the ground. It, it was like Navy SEAL yeah. training, I thought. Yeah, Russian you know, the style, kinda... like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like jumping lunges from yeah. one end of the football field to you know what I mean, right? And um, and it was it was a, a real like it was a real. Am I gonna do this? Is it gonna make me or break me moment? And um, and at least it. it 
gave me an awareness that there, it's going to take more than just showing up and, you know, getting in a fight or, uh, walking around like I, like I deserve to be here. It's going to take more than that. And, you know, if I was probably in any other organization, um, I might not have made it. Jersey just stuck with me for some reason. And, and, um, you know, I got traded because I wasn't really ready to be a professional. I was in and out of the lineup. I was having more fun off the ice, which is ironic. They traded me to Montreal, but I was having China club, China club, China club on Monday nights, (laughs) right downstairs, walking us right in life, you know? And so I was living the life, man. I just, I'm this, here's this kid from fishing Lake and I'm playing for the New Jersey devils. I'm getting in everywhere and we were a good team. And, um, anyways, when I got traded, um, I, I'm glad they treated me to Montreal, but it was a team I hated. And that's, we've talked about this before, right? I hated you because all the teams, when I grew up in in Alberta, you were either a Montreal fan or you were an Oilers fan and that's it. So you weren't both. You didn't kind of like the Canadians and kind of like the Oilers. You were one of the others. And I, I I hated the Habs, but when I got traded there, um, I really What was the last straw though there for you? Did you just feel, did they think you didn't, progressed to where they wanted you or what was the last straw with Lou? Because Lou is, is a hot ass. There's no question about it, but I think he can also, he's also a fair guy. You're a hundred percent right. You know, Lou, um, I wasn't getting along with Robbie for Torek and instead of, cause Jacques had left, Jacques retired. Um, Larry hadn't, hadn't become the coach yet. Um, and what had happened is I hated Robbie because I, I had him in the minors and we just didn't get along. I felt like he had his guys. And instead of like putting my nose to the grindstone and, and really, you know, I'll show you, I went the yeah. other way with like, ah, whatever. Yeah, you know? fuck off. And Leave so, exactly, exactly. Um, and so they traded me. And I'll tell you this, this is, this is, um, this is Lou Lamarillo for you. So, I get traded to the Canadians and the next year and, and the devils win the cup that year. Well, did, from Malakoff and, by the way, how did that, uh, did the, was that like, did that fucking hit? Was that a gut punch? Oh, that sucked. That, that sucked because all summer, uh, you know, I was still living in Jersey. Cause I, only, I got traded in March. So I played a few games with the Habs and then I still had my house in New Jersey. So they go and win the cup in Dallas. My best friend, Jason Arnett scores the overtime goal. And they come to, you know, it's five in the morning and they come over. We all live in the same community and they got the cup and I can't touch the thing, right? I just got traded. So I'm not even touching the cup. And it was, you know, I went to Letterman show with them and why, and, and here they're, you know, getting all the thing, dumping champagne in people's mouths. I'm sitting in the corner going like, are you kidding me? Right. Um, so that was, that was, that stung for sure. And then I went back to Montreal the next season and I'm like, okay, you know, I got an opportunity here and whatever. And at Christmas time, our owner was John McMullen. I remember and, John. Uh, you yeah. remember, uh, Dr. Mac? Yeah, Great I coached dude. there one year with Jock, right? After Larry left, I was assistant coach with Jock. Yeah, yeah. I only lasted a oh. year though. Yeah, you didn't. No way. I only I lasted I one was, year. Yeah. I didn't know that, but, um, must have had a tough team. Well, it, it, well, I think we were too tough because, the, and I said this before, and believe me, I don't, Lou hired me. Jacques wanted me there with him. I was taking Larry's place, which was certainly big shoes to fill. 
And listen, changing fucking lines is not rocket science, okay? But I had a few confrontations with a few players on that team that didn't like me, and Scott and Dano. McLean didn't like me. Anyway, they made it difficult on me, but I don't blame them. But the players felt as though, and I said this before, Tim's heard this on Army Time, that um, the players felt like they had two head coaches. I'm not a fucking, I can't be an assistant coach. I'm not a fucking bum patter. You know, I don't change fucking diapers and I don't give binkies and fucking yeah. warm up your bottle. I, I So that and was, you don't, a, it was all on me. And he loves those iPads on the bench. He loves them. <laughs> you, do, you, do, you, you don't need two head coaches because they, they, they yeah. have a culture there. So if you're a guy yeah. who's coming in your first year, you just kind of got to, you know, tickle the balls a little bit and, and kind of do what you're told. Right. And so anyways, um, so one one summer, I was telling you, we trained, we went down to this place called Lake Nona and uh, Lou's secretary called me and said, hey, you guys are going to go down to uh, Florida middle of the summer, bring your golf clubs. It's going to be this, you know, week or 10 day kind of thing down in Florida. I'm like, this is this is amazing. Now they're finally speaking my language. Now they got some respect for me. I'm going to go on a golf trip, right? And I get down there and it's a mental toughness camp. I got to go 10 days being fed food like couscous on a plate like this and double workouts and oh my god and so at the end of that 10 days that summer we have a barbecue at dr Max's house okay now we for 10 days i'm telling you guys i lost 15 pounds i hadn't eaten a thing we go to this barbecue and dr mac had these two uh yellow labs and so we're all sitting at the table and finally we're having like some barbecue but but they put these portions but we had a steak and I was so hungry, I could have, I could have ate the dogs. I was starving. <laughs> and so, at the end of this dinner, Doctor Mac has the chef cut up the steak, and he puts the plate down on the floor, and these dogs eat a couple of these filet mignon steaks. Okay. Fast forward to they win the cup uh, that next year. I get traded, and at Christmas, I come into my lot, into my, um, into the change room in Montreal. And, you know, in the fan mail, I got a Christmas card from Dr. McMullen. And um, so I opened this, and I'm like, fuck these guys sending me a Christmas card. And the front of the Christmas card was Dr. McMullen with these two dogs, which I hated. <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is brutal. And I open it up, and they gave me a full share of the Stanley Cup playoff bonus. So it was a couple hundred wow. grand, something like wow. that, right? That's and nice. Man, I, I it was probably the first time since I was a, a grown adult that I got emotional. I'm like, holy shit. So I got to phone Lou and tell him thank you and whatever. And he said, hey, you were a big part of this. And and th just that gave me a little spark to be better. It, it gave me a little spark to be better. And, um, you know, things started, started happening. I got an opportunity in Montreal, and I'll never forget it. And because this is Lou. Um, I had a, I made the all-star game the next season. And then I was, uh, I think third or fourth in the Norris uh, voting and um, Scott Niedermeyer won it that year. And I played with him. So I called Lou's assistant and I said, Hey, can I get Nieder's number? I want to, you know, I want to congratulate him. He said, yeah, hold on. And Lou gets on the phone. And he's like, hello, Sheldon. Hello, Sheldon. I go, Hey Lou, how's it going? And he goes, I, I want to tell you congratulations, you know, on the year and, and all that. And, you know, I, 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 we've seen that potential in you. And he said, but I want to tell you, he goes, you have a tendency to get lazy and complacent. 
He goes, don't get lazy and complacent. This is a guy I hadn't played for in, you know, two years. Yeah. And that conversation changed my life. It really did. I was like, holy smokes, this guy, that's about as good as a compliment as you're ever going to get from Lou Lamarill. It right? probably gave you it, so much value, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't it, think there's another validated. player in the history of hockey where, like, the team went on to win the cup and then they <laughs> traded him earlier and then they – they're like, hey, you were a part Gave of this. It's rare. It, it just, it just really, it, it really motivated me to to become a, a a better professional, not a better player, because the, your your gifts are what you got, right? Yeah. A little bit of opportunity and and whatever, but it really motivated me to be a better professional. If if Lou Lamarillo is going to say that, and Jacques Lemaire was one of my favorite people. I, uh, man, I played, we played at the Rangers. I scored my first goal, game winner, uh, playing the Rangers. First star, I come out. I think, okay, now Nieder's going to sit out next game. I'm in, you know? And, uh, I come to the rink the next day and my jersey's not hanging in the stall. And so I go and they say, hey, uh, Jacques wants to see you in the room. So I go over oh. to his room. I go, what's up? And he goes, you're not playing tonight. You know why? And I go, what do you mean, dude? I just had the best game I had as a, a professional. He goes, you can give more. We're not happy with that. You can give more. And it, it's things like that, as you know, with Jacques and, and Larry and Lou, it's these backhanded compliment, but it's always, and, and you guys know being professionals, all you want is black or white. The gray area for me is like, come on, dude. It was black or white with the New Jersey Devils, and it was black or white pretty much the whole time with the Canadians because that's how those organizations are. That's that's the culture. That's the standard of of it. And um, so, man, I'm just so grateful for, for the teams that I ended up on early in my career. Yeah. It could have been a lot so, different. Yeah, it could have. And should have, would have, could have. And it's funny you talk about Lemire. We had Lemire on here. He was on, He doesn't do these things. He was on here for like two hours and 45 minutes, right, Tim? We couldn't get him off. <laughs> yeah. I, I he doesn't like... do these, right? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, like, no, no. Like I nine Stanley Cups. Him. I don't have a playoff game. It was really hard. <laughs> it was hard to ask him some questions. <laughs> <laughs> but he, I, I freaking loved him. It goes back. I met him just after I was drafted. We picked him up, a friend of mine from Boston. We picked him up, Lafleur and Gilles Lupien, outside the Boston Garden and gave them a ride to the hotel. And on the way, I told them, I'm going to be playing with you guys next year. And they start laughing at me, right? They're laughing in the back. So I go, My career would have been, <laughs> been done right there, right there. And Jacques goes, how are you going to do that? And I said, well, I was drafted by the Canadians last year. I play hockey here at Northeastern in Boston. He said, oh, and you're going to be with us next year. You come to camp. I said, yeah, I'm going to be there. So sure enough, I fucking showed up in camp, and Jock had left. But he came back. Um, He went to Switzerland. He came back before the season was over, and I was with the team. We were having lunch one day, and he came in and had lunch with the boys. And he went to Larry. He says, who's the new guy on the team, the guy who's doing all the fighting? And uh, he said, Chris he's right here. So he introduced me to Jacques, and Jacques sees me. He goes, Tabernak, it's you, the kid from Boston. You told me you were going to be. I said, I fucking told you I was going to be here. And ever since then, I'm going to tell you right now, I've had a relationship with that guy that probably my strongest relationship in the game through all these years. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that man. Mm-hmm. He did so much for me as a player. Yep. And, and, yep. Indebted to him, but um, yeah. So, 
so Jacques, anyway, you get to, to Montreal. You go from New York, China Club. Now you come to another city that, man, the, the lights are bright and, you know, the expectation is large. Stepping in here, so you carried some of them things with you from the devils that you learned from Lou and company and Jacques. How did it start here in Montreal? Did you get off on the right foot? Or was, was Mike Terry in the coach? When you came? Uh, Alain Vigneault was the Vigneault. coach. Vigneault. Yeah, Vigneault was the coach. Um, so I got traded at night. We were on a road trip in uh, with the Devils. We were in Colorado. And I got traded at night. And, you know, Lou says, hey, you know, we traded yet. It, I knew it was coming. I hadn't played, you know, three or four of the previous games. And so I knew something was up. And so he calls me and, and he, he said, this isn't bad. This is good for you, you know, and, and go and be perfect, whatever he said, you know. And um, Rajon Houle was the, Reggie oh. Houle was our GM. And so he, he That was a good trade, a Reg. Later. The one good trade he made. Well, he, <laughs> he, I really liked him. You know, he, what I, what I really liked is, well, this is how it started. So he says, hey, you doing? we're going to get you on a flight tonight. We played Boston the next day. Uh, the Canadians did. And so he said, we're going to get you on a, a red-eye flight tonight and meet the team in Boston and play tomorrow night. And I said, yeah, sounds great. He goes, because I heard you don't sleep much anyways. And and I loved it. I'm like, finally, this guy gets me. This guy gets me. And so I, I came to Montreal, and we weren't – it was kind of a lean team that year, right? They were kind of rebuilding, get rid of Malakoff and some of their good guys. Uh, but we had great veterans, uh, Trevor Linden and Scott Lachance and Eric Wine, Weinrich. And so we had a lot of great guys. So I was only there for maybe 15 or 20 games to finish that season. Um, but I loved, absolutely loved um, the guys. And there's, as you know, um, there's something really, as much as I hated the Canadians, the minute I walked in the building from the security guy parking your cars uh, all the way up to meeting the legends, I was like, this is professional hockey. This immediately, it was like, oh, wow, this is what it means to be a professional. And um, I just love from the second I got there, I loved it. Um, I did. I love seeing the guy. I loved how the alumni is. Yeah. Um, you know, I it just there's a lot of prestige seeing the flower around and the pocket rocket. And, yeah. Um, uh, the rocket passed away that that uh, year that I got traded. Yeah. So I had only been there for you know a few months, and then there was this huge thing. You know, all the legends flew in. I got to see Chelly, you know, and 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 Chelly told me to, you know, this is uh, there's some there's some uh, there's something that goes along with playing for the Montreal Canadiens, and so he kind of gave me a little heads up. And anyways, it, it just um, I really felt like like that's what being a professional was like playing for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. You know, yeah, you forgot it, about it felt so weird you forgot the first about time. Being an Oilers fan, pretty quick. <laughs> Dude, I, I I did not like putting on the Canadians. Like seeing my name, I was like the whole flight. I remember going, God, with blue helmets and red jerseys and the whole Montreal. Like a, and then you see your name. You know, you go into Boston Garden and and that that jersey has your name on it, and it it was like, oh, it took my breath away. Like honestly, it was like, 
oh, this is, this is what it is. And, um, and that feeling never left me. It was, I loved it from the moment that I, I put that jersey on till the, till the time I left. And, um, and by the way, we weren't like, you know, some great team that was a perennial playoff team all the like, no. I was there for some lean years too, and it was still amazing. Yeah, but you did experience that playoff buzz that you get in this city. That and listen, I've been here since 2011, and boy, when the, there's something, when there's 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 a good hockey team here, and you're in the playoffs. Come springtime, I mean, people, uh, you can feel it. You can feel it, yes. and I haven't felt that in so long. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yep. But y- yep. you know, you had uh, and. You made a jump. There's no question about it. It started, you know, on the power play with Markov and, and Kovalev. And, you, you know, 03, 04, you had 15 goals, 20 assists. Uh, really good season. Went off in the playoffs. The year before, you were in the playoffs, too. But what was the year? Was it 05, 06 when you beat Boston in Boston? Because yep. I was there, yep. and it was game seven, right? That was fucking yep. unbelievable for me. We Shoot were down three to yeah. yeah. We were down three to one. They were the first place team. We were eight, and in, in game one, um, we're in overtime, and uh, Glenn Murray kind of slashed Kovalev, and he kind of went down. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, they, and I kind of ran into Kobe, and they went in, and they scored, and uh, – yeah, uh, you know, after it, I said, "I look, I, it happens, but you know, you can't quit on the play." And then the Montreal fans kind of shit on me because Kovalev was like the, you know, the prodigal son. And anyways, we come back to win that series. And uh, to your point, when we flew back from Boston and we get to Montreal, they had the roads blocked off coming out of the the Bell Center. They had the roads blocked off, and we had to get police escorts out of the round one. <laughs> and um, it was incredible. Well, you know, you know, it, it, I was like, holy crazy shit. Yeah, it was, it was something that I'm, I, I wish, you know, we all wish we could have won a cup, you know, but um, that I really, I, I still root for that team. Like I, I hope they do well because that city is, uh, they, they lift that team up. I mean, it's incredible. And I don't say that like Edmonton doesn't do that. They got great fans. Jersey certainly doesn't have fans that are elevating, you know, your play, but in Montreal it, and you guys know you've been around a long time. It's, it's going to make you or break you. You're going to play in that city or you can't. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's going to show you right away do. who you are. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It, it tests your metal. There's no question about it. And that year, game seven, I never, I was at the game in Boston. I friggin' was so happy uh, that the Habs were able to pull it off. And I remember that's really, and I'd seen you play, but that was, you know, I think the first time I really got to, to, you know, focus on you when you were on the ice and you know I've seen it on TV and all that but I really loved the way you played because you were tough you could play the game you moved the puck but you had a fucking awesome shot you didn't take no shit you were tough around the net just all those good things you want in a defenseman guy that like coaches love guys like that and you certainly blossomed in Montreal so that that was huge and and you say it thank you there is nothing like it is here because we went to conference final. I think it was like 84-85 against the Islanders. We came back. We flew into Montreal. We get off the plane. We're coming to him with Rick Green. 
and there's fucking people all over the airport. And he's going, can you fucking imagine if we ever won the Stanley Cup? Yeah. And then sure enough, 86 we did. And it was fucking insanity. Man. It, it wow. was insanity. You can only imagine. I, I'm telling yes. you, I had the summer of my life. It, it was incredible. It was an incredible time. But now you're just well, the guy that it. won one cup, right? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, like, yeah, yeah, well, it, that's the place you want to win the one cup, no, but I think, it, is But Nux was saying, yeah. like, when fans ask, they're, like, disappointed yeah. you only have one cup, right? Yeah, like, people say <laughs> right. to me, you know, people don't know. Right. They'll go, hey, how many cups do you have? I go, one. They go, one, only one. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> only one. Cause everybody else got like six or you nine got four or five. Yeah, 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 it's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh but it's so crazy. you gotta taste it. I actually remember playoffs. when you guys won. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we gotta we gotta taste that. I remember when when you guys won and um even in Edmonton, because we were we were just starting to be a dynasty there, right? And so and Edmonton Steve was Smith. winning cups right after you. Steve Smith scored on his own goal, but I remember looking at the, the newspaper, and I was a young kid. Man, I've been 9 or 10 years old maybe at that time. So right when you're an impressionable kid, and I remember reading the newspaper, and the front page was like cars turned over on St. Catharines and oh, on fire. And I'm like, holy shit. They're doing all that because of a, 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 a cop? Like I just I couldn't fathom it. And looking back on that, that's like an early memory I have is watching, you know, when you yeah. guys won the cup. And then you were <laughs> like, you're like, one day I'm going to go on that guy's podcast. That's what I said, one day I'm going to I'm going to be on that street partying, flipping cars too with the rest of the fans. It's funny, and to win it here, I got to tell you, we we they invited family. We have family. They had one of them buses for parents and siblings. It, 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 it was unbelievable. One of them trolley buses in the parade. Yeah. And then they had a big wow. time at Queen Elizabeth, uh, the hotel. You could bring all your family. It was unbelievable how they treated oh, everybody. Man. Molson was really, Mr. Molson was awesome as an owner. But so, so your years in Montreal, I mean, you take off, you establish yourself and, and I gotta, I gotta figure this one out. I had a hard time figuring it out. Other than that, you're from Alberta and you love the Oilers growing up. You get to be a free agent and you fucking sign with the Oilers. Yeah. And and so what, what yeah. did, did you cuz just from afar knowing Sheldon, I figured you're more New York Ranger, LA King, not right. fucking Edmonton Oilers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What happened there? So was it was it the guys, dollars? Just the dollars, no, or no? Actually, it was the Montreal had offered me more money. Uh, the highest offer I got was from the Capitals. So I'll tell you what happened. And you guys know free people are like you think you get the free agency and you just you know you got the whole pick of the litter. Like you know you're, yeah. you're, you're the you're the king of the. But you're a wanted and, guy. I mean, yeah, fucking big, every goals? fucking team would want a guy yeah. like you. So that year, so so what was going on was, you know, I, I always had a high conflict divorce. I had my second kid was on the way um, in May. So right before I became a free agent, you know, uh, my ex-wife just was like, I'm not going back to, I'm not taking two kids now back to Montreal and back and forth. And a lot went into that. It wasn't just the hockey thing. But to your point, um, day one of free agency hits. Okay, and so uh, two teams that I was talking to was New York and L.A. 
They said, okay, we're, we're, we're going to sign one of these guys. It was Chris Drury, I think, and, and Scott Gomez were the two guys who were the big free agents forwards that year. So New York, the first day of free agency, offers both those guys a contract. One of them is going to accept. The other guy is going to go to, to L.A. probably, and then they're going to fit me in somewhere. <clears throat> well, New York ends up – Gomez and Drury both end up signing in New York. So the first two hours of free agency, New York's out. And we had been talking to Sather like the whole. You were thinking about time, going there. I, I, that's where I wanted to go, right? That's where I thought it was going to go. Like I said, wife, ex-wife. Now it was a lot easier to say, "Hey, get on a plane and go to New York," because she could do some work, modeling or whatever. Than it was to go to Montreal with two young kids, customs and everything. It was just, it was a little more to it. Well, okay, uh, so they got those guys. Well, I was living in LA in the summers. And so the Kings end up calling me a couple hours later and said, well, we're not going to spend all that money on one player. And so they went and got like three different players, Han Zeus and someone else. So the first four hours of free agency, the two places I was sure I was going close up. So right? you wanted to go then, to New York or L.A.? I wanted to be, I wanted to go to L.A. because that's yeah. where my kids were. And, and yeah, so that, yeah. that made the most sense. And so – uh, now I just had my fourth shoulder surgery after that season. Okay. Um, so now the next couple of days of free agency were teams that I didn't really want to go to where, you know, it wasn't really, uh, it just w weren't teams that I wanted to go play on. And so now you get to like day, you know, four and now it's like, well, hold on. Why hasn't, you know, Saray signed yet? Well, a lot of these teams wanted me to fly in, do a physical, yada, yada. I wouldn't have passed the physical. I just had my fourth shoulder surgery. I yeah, wasn't I went, and physical, how about right? the wrist, too? I forgot that. The wrist, too, right? Fuck. The wrist and my shoulder. So I just had a fucking laundry list of injuries. And so, you know, we get to whatever it was, day seven or eight. And um, Montreal was was a team. They offered me more money than, than I took in Edmonton. And Bob Ganey said, look uh, – Here's the deal. If you want it, we're doing this right now. If if you don't want it, you got 10 minutes to figure this out because we got another guy we're going to offer this deal to. I said, okay. Literally, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes later across the bottom of the screen, Roman Hammerlick signs with the Canadians. Well, there goes my next best option. Yeah. The next yeah. one, because I, I want to go back to Montreal at that point, right? And so... Um, it just ended up as I was talking to my parents and, and, uh, whatever it just Edmonton. Now I was having another, you know, like I just said, my second daughter was being born. Everything personally started aligning with Edmonton. They had just lost Pronger the year before. Not that I was there to replace them, but yeah. the, the, the story you were. they sold was, well, we just lost, you know, to Carolina in the finals in, in game seven. Yeah. Um, we're going to get where they signed Dustin Penner to an offer sheet. And so things were, it started to sound like that was going to be a great fit. Um, and so that's kind of why I signed in Edmonton. Um, I took less money to go there than I was getting, you know, uh, offers that I'd gotten in a, in a couple other places, but it just really started making sense. And I, it, to me, I felt like uh, they had just been to the finals they had a, a good leadership group, and I, you know, I, got a I, shot at the cup. I, I bid on it. Yeah, I, well, I bid on it. You know. Yeah. So you go there. You, you know, you're certainly the first year, 26 games. You know, just okay season, and then um, 
the second season, 08, 09, boy, you ripped it up. I mean, ripped it up. How were things there? No playoffs. Well, that first year that I signed there, um, yeah. like I said, oh, I had shoulder 07, surgery. 08. Yeah. 07, 08. So it was summer 07. We're going into training camp. I'm, they, Like I said, they had a great leadership group. So uh, you guys know how you do the physicals early as a veteran. You kind of go early, right? And so I get there early. I'm having a coffee in the training room. I'm not supposed to play till mid-November. That that was the timeline. And so I'm sitting with like Dwayne Rollison and Steve Steos and uh, 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 Ethan Morrow, all the veterans, Sean Horkoff. And and Craig McTavish walks in and uh, he said, oh, just the guy I wanted to see. And I said, yeah, you finally wanted to meet me, huh? And he goes, no, I want to know when the fuck you're going to play hockey. What, you know, why we brought you in here. So he calls me out in front of all these guys, right? And so now I'm pissed off. So Kevin Lowe or Kenny Lowe never told Mac T that that I wasn't available. And so, you know, when he doesn't see me on the training camp list, he kind of calls me out. And it's not his fault. He, he didn't know. But that's how, that's the foot I got off on in Edmonton. So immediately I felt like I was challenged. Oh, yeah, well, okay, I'm going to show you how much I care. I'm going to come back and and play early. Right. I'll make it back a month early. And I think two or three games in, I tore my shoulder again. So I didn't play much my first year there because I just got injured again my first year. So the next year when I was healthy, um, you know, I, I went in and, and I was able to, you know, have a have a good year. We didn't make the playoffs. I think we lost out in like the last game or something. You were but, close, though. Um, that, yeah. Right. We were close. close. Yeah. yeah. Yep. We were really close. And um, so I just felt like we were kind of on the on the right foot. I will say this. I love Mac T. He's he's a he's a great dude and and uh Kevin Lowe uh when I signed there, Kevin Lowe be he's from Montreal, right? He's, yeah, he's uh, outside of Laval. Verdun, actually. Yeah. Laval, yeah. yeah. And so he kept picking my brain. He said, Hey, you know, we we've we've had we want to get more free agents to come here and yada yada and um Montreal was the gold standard of how they treat uh, families, you, you know yeah. what I mean? Their, their room, sure. all that. And so he said, you know, we want some, some ideas. We want to pick your brain on some things. And so, you know, after two years, things are going along. We didn't have a, uh, a wives lounge. And so our wives after the games had to sit with, uh, you know, all the drunk fans with the babies booing <laughs> us because we, we suck. So there were some suggestions I was making and, you know, Kevin was just shooting me down. He's like, you know, you silver spooner, you, you know, uh, we didn't bring you in here to be a prima donna and okay. You know, um, so I just could never settle into Edmonton. I just, as much as I wanted to, I just couldn't, uh, just couldn't, couldn't find that groove there. You know? So you was get that, that after, last, was that after yeah. you scored 23 goals or that, that, Kevin Lowe said that? Yeah, well, that was the year I had a, a good year. My first, my second year I was there, I think 08, 09, I had a, a good, all-star game was actually in Montreal, and I got to, I made the all-star team and got to go back to Montreal. Like, life was good that year, you know? It was playing good. It was in Edmonton. We were, things were were, were kind of moving. And, um, but I was, I was feeling like, and I don't have to tell you guys this, when your family and your friends, when you don't have to worry about that and you can go into a wives lounge after and you know they're safe and they're sound and, and they've had a good time and they want to come to games, 
that takes a lot of, mm-hmm. you Heat know, the, the, the distraction yeah. away. Exactly. It takes a lot of the distraction away. And, um, and we just never had that. And, and so I would say something and then I was made to feel like just shut your mouth and play hockey. Well, I just came from Montreal where they treat you like royalty and, and we weren't, you know, perennial cup winners. We, that's just the way the Montreal Canadians do things. They're, they're elite. They still and, do it um, that way. I felt, <laughs> right? I know they it's, still it's the best. And, it's and the best. That, for mediocrity, the but, but they still do it, you know? Exactly. That hasn't changed. Exactly. It's not. It's not dependent on how you're playing or your exactly. performance. Yep. They treat you like this, and if you suck, you're on a ten game losing streak. It's like that. If you're on a ten game winning streak, it's like that. And so um, things. It just started to become a little bit of butting heads with uh, with the management. And then what happened in Edmonton? The, the way last went, season. The way I went, yeah, that's the, what the I want to get to. Was a, because it, yeah. it was sour, right? It, it went bad. And and I I read about this, and I went through the same thing it went through, but I want you to explain it. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, I'd had injuries there and whatever, and the, the beginning of, I think, 09-10, so that might have been my third year that I was there, home opener yeah. we're playing oh, Calgary nine, I'm ten. going back to get a puck yep so I'm going back to get a puck home opener and uh Jerome McGinley goes in and reaches for a puck and he kind of catches my skates knocked me out I had a concussion and so um we're we're coming I come back missed a couple months I come back around January and Nux you know I've never been I've never been tapped on the shoulder and said, Hey, go no. fight someone. I just never have been. I, you, Hey, uh, you're up. you you got next shift. You yeah. know what? Yeah. You, you don't know have what to, has to tell me what to do. Yeah. yeah. I'm not an idiot. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not playing against Joe Sackick. I'm playing against Scott Parker. I, I get it. What I got to do. <laughs> right. And so, um, and so I'm walking out, we're getting beat like three or four to one going for a third period. And, uh, Tom Rennie, as I'm going out, grabs my Jersey and he says, Hey, now's your time to go get that guy. Fuck like, you. What? Right. Mm-hmm. So I, anyway, I do. I go in and no. Jerome is a great guy. As professional as it gets, we scrap. I break my hand on his head. Um, we're coming up to the Olympic break that year. And so I said, and I was going back to California because that's where I was living. And, and I said, well, I want to get this surgery. Pretty simple surgery. Put a couple pins in there. It's a boxer's fracture. Shouldn't be a big deal. Well, no, Edmonton says... Because I had asked for a trade that year. I said, if it comes up and, and we're going to suck here and you want to go for the rebuilding and you guys don't think, you know, if I'm not worth it, whatever, move me. Okay. So it wasn't really like this handshake deal, but they were pissed off, right? That, that, and so no one was happy. Anyways, I said, I want to get this surgery. They said, no, you're getting it here. So it actually kind of changed the CBA because now you're, you're allowed to go get that second opinion, yeah. right? You're encouraged to go get it. They said, no, you're getting it done here in Edmonton. I'm like, why wouldn't you guys let me just go to a doctor that I want to see? Go to, you know, L.A., you have to assume has better doctors than maybe Edmonton, Alberta. That's That was our thinking. No, you're getting it here. Okay. Surgery uh, goes fine. The Olympic break is happening. I'm back in California. I got to fly back to Edmonton after the Olympic break to see the doctor and potentially come back and play uh about a month before the deadline and try to get moved well my hand gets an infection 
right? Uh, so when I get back to Edmonton, the day before I'm going to see the doctor, I end up in the emergency room. Now I have a staph infection, a blood and a, a blood and a bone infection. I'm sick. Like I've never been sicker than I had a lot of injuries, but I've never been that sick. And um, so I spend three days or four days in the ICU. And finally, but the team's on a road trip. So everything happens so quickly um, that communication was getting lost. Like, I'm so sick. I'm not calling Kevin Lone going, hey, buddy. Yeah, I, I, that's I'm the last hospital. fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm an ICU. They're talking about cutting my hand off. You're calling I'm, I'm your mother. about making the game in Nashville. <laughs> exactly. I'm calling my mom. He's, uh, you know, I'm making a will, not, you know, yeah. getting, getting ready to play in Nashville. So um, someone comes in to see me. I don't know. It might've been our assistant trainer, our strength coach. And, uh, you know, I got this pick line. I just got out of the ICU. I've lost 15 pounds. You know, I'm, I'm sick as a dog. And he says, how are you feeling? I said, well, you know, I kind of been better. And he says, yeah, he goes, um, I, I talked to, uh, Kevin and, and Daryl Cates, the owner, and they think you're milking your injury. Oh, fuck. So they'll trade you. Now I'm on painkillers. I'm on, you know, bank of mice. <laughs> I'm ready to yeah. go. I picked up that phone and I left a couple messages for people that I shouldn't have left messages Good for. Good for you. And, you know, Good just how I was feeling, you know. And, and I, I felt like of all the things uh, to say that I'm mailing it in was, like, really hurtful. And I get it. They didn't have the information. But to to assume that and tell somebody that, and you're laying in a fucking hospital bed. Wrong. Yeah, exactly. It, and so my year-end um, meeting, you know, I, I told Steve Tambellini what I thought of him. And I said, if he had any problems with that, let me know. And we can f figure it out. Meanwhile, my hand's in a cast. I got a yeah. bag of, you know, a bag of milk over your shoulder. Bag of milk. Because you know, <laughs> you know, fanny fox. pack. Exactly. A bag of milk. Exactly. Exactly. So um, we had some words and, and I just told the media, I said, you know, which I probably shouldn't have done, but I was a little bit emotional. I was on uh, a lot of medicine. I was just feeling like, you know, letting it out. And I said, well, you know, Maybe they should trade me and we could, you know, start over. Well, that they thought was like, you, no one does that to the Edmonton order. You, who do you yeah. think you are? And as I told you with like the silver spooner thing and the whole thing. So um, I have a really good summer that year of working out. And, and I had the mindset like I did back in 03, 04, 04, 05. I had the mindset of like, I'm coming in. And I'm kicking ass and taking names. And then they, they can trade me, get, get my value. Well, I come in a couple days before and I'm skating around with the guys and uh, the trainer comes up. He says, hey, uh, this is optional, by the way. This is an optional skate two days before practice. He said, uh, you're not allowed to skate with the guys tomorrow. I said, what? He said, yeah, ma man management doesn't want you around the guys. I said, okay, so call my agent. Kevin Lofi, they're, they're at a rookie camp. He comes back. He meets me in the house at 6 in the morning. And I say, Kevin, what, dude, I'm ready to go, dude. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to – I'll get my value up and we'll, we'll I'll be professional and we'll just move on. You're going to have to apologize to Daryl Cates. I said, I'm not apologizing to anybody. Uh, I'm not wrong, so I'm not doing that. Said, okay. So the next day, you know, disinvited to camp. And and my agent says they're going to send you the minors. What was the apology for the Cates though? I, I what did you say to him? 
because I left the, the voicemail. Like oh. I'll never play again. I, not yeah. Patrick, Patrick Watt asked. I was just a, a little yeah. emotional. Right. And, and, um, but I did see him, which is funny. I see him in the, in the gym a couple of days later that our, that our uh, strength coach had, uh, before training camp or during training camp. And I seen Daryl and I, I said, Hey, Daryl, could I talk to you for a second? And I said, Hey, man, I, I don't, I don't know what you guys' plans are for me, but I'm, you know, I'm ready to go and, and, uh, be professional and get this over with. And he said, Well, you got to talk to Kevin Long. So I talked to Kevin. He says, Well, you got to apologize to Daryl. I said, I just mm-hmm. talked to Daryl. He told me to talk to you, right? So the yeah. whole, and so they said, well, we're going to send you the minors. And it was in Oklahoma City. I go, fuck, I haven't played the minors since, you know, 94. Yeah. I said, all right, whatever. I'll go down there for a little bit. Pay me. And, pay um, me. Pay you're me. paying me. No escrow. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay. Fuck you. And then pay they said, me. well, we're not sending you down to, we're not sending you the minor, to, to our minor league team because, you, you know, you're, you're, we don't want you around the guys. all these kids. Nothing. So they sent me to Hershey, which is Washington's farm team. And, uh, you know, guys, first three games, I, I didn't touch the puck. Guys were taking runs at me. And I was, finally, you know, third game, I, I get in a fight and I break my hand again. And so I called, I call up Kevin and Eddie Olchek was our assistant. I go, you idiots, what did you think was going to happen? So now I'm hurt uh, down in the minors for half the year, right? And Amy. so <laughs> it was, it, it was a humbling experience. It was definitely, you know, you see the really great sides of business, and yeah. then you see the other side of business. The it's a business. Sh- you, sound, you sound like a bad import in like Russia. <laughs> like they're just trying it's, to like, you know get I mean? you to quit. You know, <laughs> like I'm. That's that's what they wanted me to do. They wanted yeah. me to quit. I had two more years on my contract. So they didn't have said, to pay us. I can ride this out. Well, yeah, you know so what? It was unfortunate, but. I can certainly empathize you from the standpoint I've been through that infection stuff. I've had it with my hands, mm. okay, when mm-hmm. I was in college, okay, I had teeth in my hand, I got infected. I was mm-hmm. in the hospital for a month. Mm-hmm. I could take mm-hmm. penicillin back then. Back in 2010, 20, yeah, 2010, I had a staph infection in my ankle, and I was allergic, to, found out I was allergic to penicillin, I had three surgeries in five days. They almost amputated my foot because they couldn't get rid of the infection. It was in the bone. Exactly. They scraped yep. it. They power washed it. They did everything. I, I yep. After the second one, my temperature was 104. The doctor yes. came in, 29 years old, Harvard kid. He comes in to me, looks at me, he said, Chris, here's the deal. I'm going to go in one more time, Okay. And if we don't get control of this infection on this surgery, I'm going to have to amputate your foot. Are you okay yes. with that? I said, am I okay? Fuck, are you fucking no. kidding me? I don't want to fucking amputate. <laughs> exactly. He said, Chris, you got to understand. Exactly what And I didn't. He said, it'll go to your heart and it'll kill you. Or it'll go to your spine and paralyze you. Or it'll paralyze you. And I'm there, no yep. way. So he said, know. Yahweh. So thank yep. God. Thank God um, the third surgery worked. And then three years ago, I had in my knee. I, I had a knee replacement. Two weeks after, I'm out of the woods feeling good. They come in and change my bandage. A nurse came in, day nurse, came in, changed my bandage, left. That night, staph infection. In the hospital, two weeks, I had a pick line for three months. Yeah, right to the heart. Uh, Sits right yeah. on top of the heart. So Same. I know what you're going through. I had that fanny pack. And you, to say you, you're you fucking know, milking you're it. Emotional. You know, I don't blame you for fucking being pissed off. 
you know, well, to I say you're milking it. Yeah, ass. that's the thing. Saying well, something that's not even an option in your mind, right? Like it, milking it. it like, yeah. And if you have a problem, if you if with me, pick up that phone, you're the GM, give me a call and say, yo, what's up? And I would have told you, or I would have said, you know what? Why don't you get in your car and drive to the University of Alberta Hospital and come have a look? I had, they did a surgery on my hand and they cut me open from the, from my, my middle finger all the way to my wrist on both sides. And then they had to set Ugh. it in this cast, like back like this. Cause it had to ooze all the shit out of the pus. Right. Yeah. And so I kind of wake up from one of my naps. I mean, I'm hitting the pain stuff cause I'm in, I'm in really I'm, yeah. I'm in bad shape. Same and I wake deal. up from one of my naps and there's, you know, four of these, um, these interns with the doctor and, you know, I kind of wake up and, and I said, how's it looking, Doc? Am I okay? And he goes, well, he goes, we just hope it doesn't get to your heart because that's going to kill you. But we hope you don't have to cut your hand off either. I'm like, right? It's a shock, what? isn't it? It's, it's, it was a shock. Was like, I put Edmonton's my head back like, on the pillow. Edmonton calls and they're like, quit milking it. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're like, can like, you play in Nashville tomorrow? Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so it was, it was a bad, t- I, I don't really blame Ed. It was just the communication thing that just got, then we just got kind of in a, you know, Mexican standoff. It's like, Oh, fuck me. Well, fuck you. And, uh, that's kind of how it happened. But you know, um, I went with Gretz to uh, Oiler alumni thing in Banff, like in 2016. And I seen Kevin Lowe and, and, you know, you just, Gretz is like, just it's water under the bridge, dude. You, you know, you're retired. And so I was able to say, Hey, sorry for how it all went down. And, you yeah. know, my parents did get to see me put on an Oiler Jersey and I did have, you know, a good time there. And my friends were supportive. It just sucks and, when it ends that way, yeah, right? It, just, that it sucks. just sucks because that was never like in my career, uh, that was never like who I was. Right. And so for it to go down like that and, uh, you know, uh, the the perception not everyone knows the story so yeah, the perception is this guy wants to get out he's a you know married to a movie star down in LA get him out of here and I'm like whoa yeah. like so yeah. anyways you know um that year they ended up buying me out my last year and the, the first day of free agency I got a call from Joe Newendike and he said are you do you still have some some left and I said yes I do and he said okay we're gonna sign you for for a year and um we're a team in transition, so it might get you another contract with us, but it's going to give you a chance to get back and, and, and get in the game. And, uh, man, I was so grateful for that. And I got to go do it in a place that wasn't Montreal uh, or Edmonton where all the eyes were on you. Yeah. got to go to Dallas and just kind of be myself and leave the rink and life the was expectation good. And, and no pressure. Was- yeah, no. I wasn't making you know six million exactly. I was yeah. making uh, uh, a million bucks, and it was – I just a lot of golf, playing a lot of golf in Dallas. I played golf with Brendan oh. Morrow and Minimo was there. And I just, I loved the life, you know, and in the, in Montreal, especially in Edmonton, you leave the rink and you're never, you can never really turn no. it off. Right. You're, no. Someone's calling, someone's seeing you at dinner. So, you know, so you're always kind of. You're going to Wanda's, not the golf course. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going inside to stay warm. Um, but yeah, I, I again, man, I, you know, everything. So Dallas, so you go to Dallas, you go that year, you decent season for sure. And then Anaheim, your last season. Now I want to know, and, and listen, you played the game tough, played it hard, you fought. And I know at the end for me, 
it was extremely difficult. It was getting difficult mentally because I started to question myself. I would sit on the bench. I fought. I remember I told Tim this. You heard this fucking story so many times. But I fought Stu Grimson and the next night, Big Jim McKenzie. And I remember mm. going back to the bench saying, fuck, it's getting tough. This is yeah. fucking. It, wait, what? I still did my job to the end. I fought right to the fucking end. But boy, it was getting tougher on me mentally and physically. I was fucking beat up. How, how was that with you? Like all the injuries, all yeah. the shit. Was it starting to get tough mentally on you? It was really getting tough. Also, uh, you know, my kids were becoming a certain age where I was starting to miss, like, you know, they're seven, eight, nine. Now you had two kids at that point. Two girls. Yeah. And um, so Anaheim was was a perfect landing spot. Koivu was there, who was obviously in Montreal with me. And, um, you know, I wanted to sign for one more year and they signed me for three. You know, and I'm like, oh, Anaheim. And so, and and then we had that lockout that year. So we missed half a year. So that season in Dallas or uh, Anaheim was only half a season. Um, I just, I, I, I was, for a player like you, Chris, or me and, and Stapes, I don't know about you, but like the motivation has to be high. It, it has to be, you have to be able to get yourself like, you know, spit and nails a little bit and be a good leader and, and, and come in the rink and be, you know, and I, I just was getting harder. I was missing my kids' Christmas concerts and this and the travel. And it was just really getting harder to be a professional. And I got hurt at the end of that last year, broke my hand. And um, fuck, your hand. And again. that was that it. Sucks. That's how you went out. You know, it's funny, right? Because we all have this idea of how you should go out. Like Tom Brady, he goes to the Buccaneers, he wins a, another Super Bowl. Yeah, that, You're like, yeah. bro, what are you doing? You know? Well, for him, he's like, well, I. I can win another one, you know? So yeah. you never, as an athlete, you never really go out the way you have the romantic idea of I'm going to win. Here's two guys. And- I'm going to give you, uh, I'll give you two guys. Forget about any other sport. Hockey. Lanny McDonald. Mm. He went out, oh. he scored a goal in the, in the last game in Ray Bork. Mm. He won a Stanley Cup the last game he ever played. Those two guys, the only two I know in the game of hockey that went out that way. It just doesn't happen. You know, it doesn't happen. You know, percentage-wise, it's I a very... I lost in game five in Germany. <laughs> I was playing in the German league. That wasn't my plan. That was my last your bag, game. Your bag is already packed at the rink, huh? You're like, all exactly. right, what time's the first flight home tomorrow? <laughs> that was um, it. My career was done. I was like, all right. That was it. And you're probably happy. Like, when my career ended, yeah. like, you said, okay, here's the thing. You, you got to get the surgery. You can try to come back. But to your point, it was getting harder, man. Like, the... You know, now I'm 36 or 37 years old, and it's just getting harder to, like, I'm working harder. I'm at the rink earlier. I'm leaving later. I'm, you know, skating laps. It just was getting harder. And uh, they said, well, here's the deal. You can, you can get the surgery and your career is over. Um, I also seen the writing on the wall a little bit that, you know, I wasn't going to be playing the power play and, and being a top four guy anymore. I'd probably be in and out of the lineup. And and you're uh, not going to be Chelly who played till fucking 49. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it was just like, okay, this is, this is how it is. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I wish it would have ended differently, but I look back on it and I was just so yeah. lucky to. You had a great to, career. You had oh, a fucking great, great career. career. It was okay. Yeah. Did you keep breaking you know. the same hand? Was it both? Both actually. The, for, it was my left one the first time, and I had to have surgeries to get that going. I broke my scaphoid, and 
Um, I finally went down to Duke University where the guy rebuilt Grant Hill. You remember the basketball guy yeah, who yeah, was yeah, having yeah. all those surgeries oh, yeah. with his? So this guy invented the surgery. So it, it, my left ended up working good. Then I broke my right one in that fight. And then the infection. And then it just never healed properly. And so now I got two bad hands and I cross-checked. We're playing um, Detroit in the playoffs, and I cross-checked that uh, abdicator, and I broke my I broke my hand, and um, man, that was it. That was that was it. And so, um, so the know, game's over. Uh, so yeah, it's you have the hardest slap shot though, unofficial, right? Don't you have like a, Don't you have the hardest slap shot, unofficial though? I, I I did for about uh, two months, and then Big Z, Big Chara came in and absolutely. Fuck, you had a cannon too. Him. I can't imagine fucking, you know, hotter than that. I can't imagine like, especially in today's game, how they all block shots, right? Like yeah. everybody, I fucking hated blocking shots. Yeah, they were, they I'm like, what's not... a block shot? What do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah, so, <laughs> no. we're playing. Uh, we're playing Boston. I was in Montreal. And we're playing Boston. There's a five on three and a killing penalties. And uh, the puck goes over to Z, big Z, and he's going to one-time it. And I come out and I flamingo, right? I flamingo beat <laughs> Jose top corner. Well, the next day we're watching video. And fuck me, Terry, and put it on. And these guys roasted, or maybe it was Claude Julian. These guys roasted me. So I'm like, well, now I got to block a shot the next time. Now, now the eyes are on me. You know? yeah. I used to say, Jose's making six million bucks in there, and you want me to block shots? This guy can <laughs> Let him make a save. Look at the pads he's got. You know, come on, man. It's funny um, how it changes, right? Because in the 80s, it was fucking get out of the way and let the goalie mm-hmm. see it. Right now, it's not that way anymore. I fucking hated blocking shots, but that's what it was. Now it's changed. You better get in fucking front of the puck. I sucked at it. It would always hit huh? me like in the back or something. <laughs> just, <laughs> just ah, yeah, ah. just like fuck. I, like we played. Uh, we played. Uh, Adam Burris has become one of my best buddies. And when the Hawks were, you know, he was a little shit disturber, and they had that other Dave Bowen, and he was a shit disturber. So we used to. Uh, we used to just get our asses handed to us when I was in Edmonton playing these guys. And they always used to chirp me. And one, one game we're losing, well, it, we ended up losing 10-1, but we're like 7-1 after the second period. So I told these guys, I said, I'm going to fucking kill one of you guys. Like, the game's out of reach. I don't care. I'm making a lot of money. If I get a two-game suspension, I'm good. So just I'm just letting you guys know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. So, um Nothing happens that game. Well, the next game, because I played with Burrish in Dallas. Well, the next game, the coach, uh, Quinville, tells these guys, you got to get out on the power play and or when we're penalty killing, you got to block Saray's shot. They're like, oh, fuck. I didn't know where it was going, so they don't know where it's going, right? <laughs> yeah. And so um, Burrish comes out, you know, one of the first shifts, he comes out, and, and uh, I hit him in the shin pad, and I cracked his shin pad, but I heard him scream like, ah! <laughs> and so I gave it to him, right? I'm like, you, you know. And so he skates off, his shin pad's broken. Bowen comes out, replaces him. So we go, we're in the zone. This is the same shift. And I take a slapper and Bowen comes out and he, you know, kind of the goalie, he opens the palm of his hand and I hit him in the hand and break his hand. And him too goes, ah! You know? and, and so the next time we played these guys, I, I, I told you guys, I, yeah, someone I was, was going to die. I, I was going for your neck. And oh. so Burr, Burr was, uh, he always used to bug me. He's like, damn, dude, they used to want us to block your shot, but uh, no one knew where it was going. Fuck I remember that. when I got traded to Anaheim, we had Getzlaff and Perry, and 
you know, we're and and Timu and we're talking about power play. One of the first things, and they go, "Hey, Shelly, come here." So I go after him. They're like, "Hey, dude, like." Low shots, like shin pad or lower. No, no high. Like, don't. We don't need any heroes here. Like and deals. The, they're they're like, dude, you're new here. Like, you give us some respect. And I remember uh, one of the games we were on the power play, and I scored, and it it went high. And Perry, there's a picture of it. Perry standing in front of the net like this, and it just happens to go by him, and he came off. I've never seen a guy so disappointed that I scored a goal in my life. He's just shaking his head. He's looking down, shaking his head like this. Oh, good times. Yeah, I so, know Burr. I'm good friends with Burr. He's funny, man. Adam, yeah, he's the best for sure. So, Shell, uh, the the transition out of the game, like, you know, you made some good dough in your career. How was it? Like, because I, I like asking guys this because I don't care who you are, how much money you made, how prepared you think you are. You're never really prepared for that thing. How, how was that with you, and how how difficult was it to get, you know, get going again in life in a, in a different direction? Well, it was really hard. I mean, you guys know. I know you guys from, from uh, a, a, you know, a different kind of program. And um, different what team. I thought – a different team now. Um, what I thought was something that, you know, our whole life, my whole life has been wake up, have a routine, have a schedule. You go on a road trip, here's your sheet. This is how your life's going to go. And that starts day one and it ends your last game that you play. Yeah. So your whole life is routine. And as I was getting older and, and you know, you get into like 2008, 9, 10, we used to be able to take summers off like we're talking about the Jersey thing, right? So I used to kind of, you end in May and June, July was having a lot of fun and I'd kind of pick it up again in August and then I started skating when I went to training camp. Well, everything just became so much more of a routine and as I was getting older, I was working harder and, you know, I was living in Malibu with Chelios and so now I had to be on this guy's routine and that yeah. was harder than playing. And <laughs> yeah. it, it, was, it was just like all this life so i couldn't wait I, I thought i couldn't wait to be retired you know and now i could find it no one telling me what to do i can sleep in till whenever i want and um you know all that was was good for a little bit um but i was just getting off track right i was using my experience playing and everyone go oh you it must have been so hard playing and all your injuries and I, I was eating it all up i'm like yeah you know this and that i was fine you know, I just, uh, I, I just, uh, now I had all this free time. I had no structure, no one to answer to. And um, I thought I was going to absolutely love it. And it just, I started going down this road that I never in a million years would have thought that a, that a few years after I retired, I would have put my hands up and said, I'm a drug addict and alcoholic. I just... I would have put all my money in the middle of the room and said, you're crazy if you think that's going to happen to me. And that's, you know, that's where I found myself. And so the, the, the trans, I, I don't know what sports can do to get guys uh, transit to make the transition easier. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. I just know that the second that the day, and this is the God's honest truth. The day that I went in for a surgery and I got my hand uh, done and I woke up, I had never talked to one more person in hockey management again. 
what Bob Murray wasn't calling me going, Hey, how you doing? Yeah. There was none of that, right? There's no babying. It did it and I was done. Don't and, let the um, door hit you in the ass on the way out. That's it. And that's it. And so I don't know what you can do. What I thought was going to be, you know, I, I had, now I had some money and I had all this freedom and man, this is beautiful. Uh, ended up really, really being hard for me. And it wasn't until I went to my first rehab in uh, January, 2017, you know, we have to do all these exercises, right? And I'm like, I'm a freaking professional hockey player. And I have, you know, I got to ride a bike in a rehab. Are, Fuck. Yeah. yeah. I gotta, You're going to tell me to breathe. You're going to write my feelings. Exactly. I got to beat a drum and, and, and <laughs> yeah. sing songs. For, I'm like, this is ridiculous. But um, I had this lady who was my counselor and she said, I want you to write a, a grief letter. And I'm like, to, to who? My life is great. And she said, <laughs> I want you to write a grief letter to your career. Because I don't goodbye. think you've... Yeah. She goes, I don't think you've ever properly mourned that. And I was like, this is fucking stupid. I can't believe I'm going to do this. And as I'm writing it, I'm the tears are hitting the, the, the paper. And I just couldn't believe that... Um, I had never processed that, you know, I, I lost a huge part of my life, uh, you know, when, when I did that. And, um, and so that was really therapeutic. That was, I didn't stay sober from that moment on, but it gave me an awareness to like, yeah, man, you, you know, Mr. Cool Guy, um, maybe you cared more about that than you, you thought you did. Yeah, you get fed, um, certainly, even though you didn't stay sober off the hop, because I struggled with that too you know, that transition and I got lost and I never properly um, grieved um, the loss of my career at such a young age and, and really dealt with it in a healthy way. And I didn't stay sober from the get go either. And, you know, it's, it's funny. A lot of people think, Oh, you go to rehab. Oh, it doesn't work, but it does. It may not work the first time. Mm -hmm. And you get that understanding of, you really know there is a, there is a way out and there's a new way to live life. And you just, maybe the first time, like with me, it took me a while to get it. And there's no shame in that. Uh, I'm just glad I was able to live through the exactly. times where I went back out and, and almost bit it. And I mean, exactly. almost bit it, did bite it and, and yeah. was brought back. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. yeah and, and it, it certainly, being in um, recovery and and being able to, you know, assess your life and look at your life and look at yourself and, and still be yourself, but make some changes within yeah. yourself to be just to live a better life and be a better person. And certainly you've done that. Tim has done it. Yeah. And, it's, I was going to yeah, say, it's, yeah. it's hard. You're, it's, it's almost like I'm still dealing with the transition. Like I, I still have like a, like I got this, so I'm grateful for this and I'm doing other things, but there's still that gut feeling of like, what the fuck's my purpose? <laughs> like, what am I yep. supposed to do? 100%. And it's so easy to not want to deal with that. Like it's yep. so easy to be like, I don't want to fucking feel this shit. So I did the same thing for the first year. I was just golfing. Like I didn't care. Exactly. And then next, exactly. you know, it's like, shit, I got to kind of make a little bit of a structure here. And then it was like, you know, I just, it's hard. It's really hard. Well, also like, you know, I, I really thought like my life was over. Like how you're a professional athlete playing in for the Montreal Canadians playing in, you know, all-star games. 
And now what am I going to, I'm going to go sell cars. I'm going to go be a real estate agent. Like <laughs> it, it seemed like it was so beneath what I had been yep. doing. Right. And so uh, I think what recovery really gave me was a humility. It's like, bro, you got 40 more years left to your life. Hopefully maybe 50, you know, who knows? Um, what are you going to do? Just sit around and play golf and, and go on podcasts and talk about hockey. Like what, what's your purpose going to be? And that's what recovery gave me was, uh, it was, I was able and am able to look through a different set of lenses to be like, Oh, this is who I am. You know what? I am a sensitive guy. And I, I joke with Nux on this because we go to the same meeting. It's like when, when Nux was playing, can you imagine uh, the Bruins playing the Canadians and Hey Nux, how you feeling? Oh, boys, I'm, I'm like a little sad today. Well, snap out of it, dude. Cause you know, we got, uh, and, and so it, it's just kind of given, um, uh, given me a, a, a opportunity to like, just humble myself and be grateful for what I had and, and be alive. Like that's, it sounds so corny, right? And, and Nux, you know, we talk about this all this time. I hate, I hate the corny sayings. We see them every time you walk out of a, a dressing room, work hard, uh, enjoy the process. It's like, oh my God, shooting. Um, and AA is just all these sayings, right? And now I like, I live it. There's a lot of people and there still is maybe worse than ever, um, who haven't had the chance to come back to a room. And the, the gut wrenching thing is I can't imagine, you know, my kids going to school and someone saying your dad passed away from drugs. Yeah. Like, what a, right. what a bum, right? What uh -huh. a bum. Imagine that's the legacy you leave after the life you live for me. Anyways, like I, that really was like, man, uh, I, it's like a whole new chapter of my life and starting over. And some of it's like, doesn't feel good. And, some of it wishes on a on a Saturday night we were playing in you know uh, uh, the Bell Center, um, but that's not my life. You know my life is uh, I got a sober wife and I got a new baby. Like all these things, I said when I you know five six years ago I was like I, I can guarantee you guys a few things and and a couple of those things are I will never get married again, I will never have a kid again. I'm freaking forty seven years old, and you want to bet ten million dollars on it? Take my money. <laughs> and here I am. I'm married to the most beautiful human being I've ever met. We have a two and a half week old son. Um, so my life has opened up in, in other ways. It's not the money. It's not the parties. It's not a nice car, whatever, which used to be important to me, right? Like you go into the Bell Center. I'm not driving a Dodge pickup when Koivu's driving a Bentley Continental. Like it's all, you're just keeping up with the whole Keeping up show. with the Joneses. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, recovery has really, really given me a beautiful life. I get to meet guys like you and it's not, it's not cool. These things aren't corny. He's talking to me, no, not you. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 talking to both screen, of us. Both of you no, guys. I'm kidding, yeah, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. He might, he meant to do, uh, Joe Pesci. He meant to say use. Use, use, yeah, yeah. use guy. I get to meet use. I meant to, but it, it's funny. And then, it, 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 and I'm grateful. And I've heard it before and I've said it, but to be a grateful, I've heard people say I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. And I'm like, when I first got sober, I'm like, that's fucking the biggest crock of yeah, shit yeah. Exactly. I've ever heard, like, right? Shut you up. pussy. Shut up. <laughs> but, but I am grateful for that because when I look at, listen, playing a professional sport and doing what 
we did for a living, it's not a place where you're really allowed to feel your feelings. The only really good feeling that you can expose to those around you is anger. Yeah. Right? Exactly. It's fucking anger. Exactly. Any of the other feelings, you are not, you can't, I'm not saying you're not allowed to, but you're really not allowed to, uh, show those other feelings, especially anything on the sensitive side. So how do you process that? And how you process it, at least for me, I can't speak for anybody else, was by drinking. Exactly. And and taking drugs, it's, especially That's when it. I got addicted to that pain medication. I didn't have to feel exactly. those things. I was exactly. told I couldn't feel those things. I, I wasn't told, let, let me say, I, it wasn't accepted for me to feel those feelings. So now I'm able to feel those feelings and process them in a total different way than I would before. And that's to me, the beautiful part about it. And I've learned to tone some of those other things down. You get to be you, you get to be Sheldon Saray from Elk point. You don't have to be Sheldon Saray, the all-star from my, you know what I mean? Like you get to just be you. And I think there's no mask, you know, it's it's just, it, it really is. And man, you know, I, I never, like I said, and I, I just can't believe sometimes that this is my life, that I get to live my life um, the way I do. Because when I first came into recovery, I was like, these, these are old people. They have no life. They've never had money. They don't know what <laughs> they've never losers. played in front of 20. These guys are losers. Yeah. They need a I'm place to, to go. <laughs> You know, I'm like, I'm looking around, like, who's the loser in the room? I can't yeah, find them. And it you know, ends up being this guy. Um, but yeah, like, life is just, man, it's, if there's one thing that life has shown me. It's that I know nothing yeah. about what's yeah. good for me, you know? So. And it's easy to think you do know. <laughs> like, it's easy to be like, I could, you know, just thought process. Like, when something doesn't go my way, it's really easy to start thinking a certain way, but yeah. you know, exactly. That's why exactly. You gotta, well, the way you said to deal with it to, to Nux's point, exactly. well, the way I used to do it is, Oh, you're disappointed and mad at me. Watch this. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. show you. You're, oh, you're mad at me. I'm going to show you who's yeah. mad. I, let, let's see who can get madder. Yeah. Right. And it's just, it, just my ego. You know, when I had just the, the apologies I've had to make to people in the past for, you know, the, the ego driven stuff that I did. I look back on it and it served me really well in my professional life. Oh yeah. It, it really served me really oh, yeah, well. It does. And my personal life, it burned it down to the ground. Right. Yeah. And so it's been, it's certainly been a transition, but um, man, it's just, you know, just. That's uh, awesome. It is awesome. It's awesome. Just, just taking it like it is, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. I'm that, so happy man. for you. I appreciate that, yeah. Yeah, thank you, buddy. And, and you guys, too. I know you guys are uh, – I've seen you guys in the rooms. And, you know, it takes – again, not to be corny, but it takes courage to change. It, like, it, for me, yeah, it the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was to humble myself and go say – I'm. even if I don't think I was wrong, to have to go to someone and say, hey, I'm sorry for my behavior – you know, you did and and not go, but you made me, you know, so I don't know. There's, there's been a, um, there's been some kind of strength in just being a super simple and and humble human being and grateful. We say it all the time, but it's, it's, it's my life. So I, I, change is an inside job, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's that's the first thing was thinking how much is going to change 
if I go this way in this direction and the real, I mean, nothing's changed. I changed really. Right. Yeah. You changed. Other yeah. people are. No, changing. no, I still, you're, yeah. you're just seeing it different, you know, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. It's a just, different lens. And, exactly. and again, those amends, it's nice to make amends to someone and not have to always keep saying, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You make amends. And then, then from that point on, I know in my own case, I've amended my behavior also. So that doesn't happen again. So I don't have to say I'm sorry again. So recovery, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I'm, I know both you guys are in it and it, it's awesome. Life is good again. One, um, so you have two other, you have two daughters mm -hmm. besides your son now, right? Yep. And my daughters where are your daughters at? 20. Oh. They're in LA. So my okay. oldest is 20 and my youngest is 16. Um, cool. You know, it's, uh, I, I would say this, that recovery, Nux, I know you know this, uh, it doesn't make everything perfect. As a matter of fact, it makes some things just a little bit harder because I have to deal with them in a different way than I really want to. The way I want to do it is is a lot different than the way I got to do it. And so in a lot of ways, it's been a challenge, but my oldest daughter was here uh, this weekend meeting meeting our baby and just like to see the, that beauty in um, in being alive to see it. Yeah. <laughs> that, the, yeah. You know what I mean? For being alive to make it happen, but also like just to, um, life is just crazy you gotta be man. i gotta, you, you gotta be honest crazy. were you praying like please don't be another girl please don't be another <laughs> yeah, girl yeah. <laughs> totally yeah because you know, you know totally. what if it was we'd be saying today we'd be saying takes a man to make a man dude <laughs> <But> exactly <laughs> the man you know who's praying harder hard. than me yeah. is my my youngest daughter was praying <laughs> praying harder than uh, uh than me they, they wanted want a little, little brother girl. that's awesome they want a little brother awesome. and uh like I said, man, I, I just, I never could have imagined this would be my life. You know, I went and got my real estate license a couple months ago and, uh, you know, sitting in school. You're in Vegas, right, weeks, Sheldon? I'm in Las, yeah. Las Vegas and, uh, you know, I'm sitting in this school. It's been 30 years since I've gone to school. Um, and, you know, seeing a lot of these people who are really starting out to tr to, to, to make something of their life. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I've had I've had a life, and here I am sitting in this school, sit, listening to the guy talk about, man, if you make a hundred thousand a year, you got a great life. And I'm like, wow, really? That's what I got to look forward to. That's that's great, yeah. you know. Um, but to to be able to do some of these things that are challenging, and again, it's just it's humility, you know. It's 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 doing something I never thought I would do but knowing that i'm not above doing it like you know I, like i said what are you going to do the rest of your life just sit here and you know talk about story i mean it's just you know uh that's not in the cards for me so you're 47 um, yeah what's 47. your index at what's your index at no sandbag in here how much we playing for I'll tell <laughs> you <laughs> i think my index is about a four whoa wow. yeah i think my handicap's about a six which is wow. you know pretty good when i got my last surgery on my hand uh the doctor i, I said hey dude 
I, I got one thing left going for me. I got to play golf. So when you set my hand, I'm a lefty. Make right. sure I can swing a club. I, I swear to God, I, I said that. He was, oh, yeah, yeah. No, we'll get right on that one. Um, and so it's, it's, it's become, it's replaced everything in my life. Uh, golf has become like oh, my, it's, the best. it's just friggin' it's, it's the best and it's the worst. And, and I yeah. feel like, because, you know, we played another sport that I should be good at it. Like, whoa, man, I'm the worst. I'm my own worst enemy. I'm like, fucking, I could have a checklist of swing thoughts by fucking the back nine. <laughs> totally. I mean, you know, but every time oh, I get up to the first tee, it's like, today's the day. Today's, today's the day. Of course record. No one left. I got oh, like man. 10, ball, 10 three lost balls tee. later. 10 <laughs> lost balls later. You know, all my friends it. are drinking, and I'm sitting there like, oh, yeah, I'll take a freaking another sparkling water. Yeah, give me a Perrier. I'm going to myself for the next four hours, yeah. 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 Um, uh, you said 47, you just had a son, and you said you'd never get married. You said you'd never have a child. I said the same thing, never get married again, never have another child. I had three children from my previous marriage, and um, we are going to get married. We're engaged. But wow. I was 60 years old. Breaking news. Yeah. yeah. I was shit. 60 years old. And I, I told Jamie, and she's 21 years younger, but I told her that I would never have children. So I'm not the guy for you if that's what you want. And we, um, she said, well, I'll cross that bridge when it comes, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, years later, here we are. And. I always thought an older guy, especially a guy that's 60, having a child is selfish for the mm -hmm. kid's sake. Yep. And, and then um, th this woman has been so good to me and loves me and cares about me. And we have an mm -hmm. awesome thing going. We're a team. Mm -hmm. Everything is we. And I said, I'm going to try it because I had the spigot shut off and I did a re uh, surgery reversal, five-hour surgery that – um, didn't work. We found out after a while. And then we did in vitro. We tried yep. that, uh, one time and it didn't work. So we had since backed off, but I was ready to do that at the age of 60 out of wow. pure love for somebody well, else yes. in this world. That's awesome. And it's unfortunate Amen. it didn't Amen. work, but yes. we also believe, um, that maybe someone's telling us something too, that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It's not. You know, people say that to me, well, you're going to be, you know, an older dad. Look, man, my last uh, relapse was about three and a half years ago. And I met my wife in recovery. I met her in rehab. And That's where I met my places, Jamie. They said, yep. They said, <laughs> when you, when two people can authentically be there to change your life, yeah. Um, something beautiful can, can happen. And it did. And we were, you know, when I went to my second rehab in September of uh, 17, um, you know, when I got out, she was there and she's like, are you, are you ready to get sober? Cause she stayed sober. Right. right. And so she's like, are you ready to get sober? Are, are you ready to do this? And I said, yeah. and we started hitting meetings and we started going to church and started doing all these things that like, I just never, you, know, you would have never friends. done. And then I never, I just never would have done that. And then, you know, my last relapse, like I said, about right at the beginning of COVID, I remember looking at my, my wife and, and the disappointment she had in her, her face, but she's like, Hey, you know, I, I love you. We'll get you through this. Are you, but I didn't sign up for this. She said, 
And I remember looking at her face and going, that, I care more about her feelings than mine now, right? And I just had, I just had that moment. It's like, I know I'm done because without my sobriety, I don't have her. I don't have a new baby. I probably don't have, I'm probably not alive the way things are going on the outside Mm. right now. I'm just probably not alive. Yeah. And, um, and so thank God, like I have someone who's, who's in recovery, as you guys know, it's just, uh, it's not easy, you know, it's just not, nothing is nothing. Nothing's easy in life. Nothing worth it. We could get done with this and I'm this motherfucking like the mailman. (laughs) Exactly. What am I doing? I, you know, like, (laughs) That's so funny. I'm going to take my dog outside after this, you know. (laughs) Hey, listen, this has been awesome, Sheldon. I I mean, we could go all afternoon, but uh, I certainly um, have a lot of – I had a ton of respect for you as a player. I love the way you played the game. You're a true pro. You eventually became one. You, um, And then um, your life after hockey and what you've done here in recovery and and, – turned your life around so god bless and i i just think it's awesome you're a good man and um we'll have to play one day the three of us you know we, get out there. Yeah, we, we get gotta get out somewhere though. i'm getting like 10 strokes on them we will come on I got i'm getting to 10 to too yeah yeah whatever right. you guys want home course so i you know um but i feel the same way thank you guys for having me on sometimes it's it's not you know this isn't you don't just go around talking about some things that are for recovery you don't just go yeah. around you know advertising to everybody and and, and being able to take a a trip down memory lane with people that you trust and respect. So thank you guys for having me on Nux. I love seeing you on the meetings. You're a huge inspiration for a guy. I didn't like it all when he was playing. Um, I That's got a good. I was doing my job. You Stapes doing thank it. You. Yeah, I know. You're Did doing you it too good. Did you guys play against each other? Or no? no. Holy no. fuck, Stace. No. <laughs> do you think I am? Oh, you're 47. You're 47. Jeez, I'm fucking 66. Sorry, I thought he said 57. Go dye my beard after this. Wow. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles podcast. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe.